Good to see you all this morning. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and entitled this message, God is always just in his judgment. That question gets raised today. Last week we looked and the question was, well, is God unfaithful? And of course the answer to that is no. But Paul has been laying out uh, some truths ever since the beginning of this book. And one is the world needs the gospel. Isn't that the truth? The world needs the gospel. I mean, we see every single day uh, the need, the necessity for the gospel to be proclaimed. We see it in our own life, and we see it in the world around us as sin seems to just continue to multiply over and over and over again. I mean, we see it. And it, it, we, our, our hearts need to break for that, by the way. Uh, I, I sense in Paul... Uh, his great desire to put this truth out there of the sinfulness of all mankind, not because he's mad at everybody for their sin, but because his heart breaks for them. He wants, and we're going to see that later in, in the book of Romans, he wants desperately for men and women to believe the gospel. And so he has no qualms with laying out the truth of how desperately sinful we are and how desperately sinful the world is and how great the need is that this gospel that is the power of God and salvation go out and be heard and be transforming as it is. He lays out the rebellion, the rebellious hearts of men, beginning and in chapter 1, and lays out the idolatry of the Jews throughout chapter 2, that they're leaning on and resting in things that God indeed gave them, but he had no intent for it to be what would save them. It was always Jesus that they would hope in. Last week, we faced this objection that says God is faithful, or God, is God not faithful? He is. We're not. A good summary of that particular section, uh, verses 1 through 4, could be this. Great is thy faithfulness. Don't we just love that song? Great is thy faithfulness. It's a good summary. Great is thy faithfulness and it will kill you. That's the summary. That's the whole summary. I know the song doesn't go like that, right? But the faithfulness of God will kill you, will judge you and destroy you. He is indeed faithful. Now Paul's argument is tracking in such a way, and we're going to hear this a couple of times 
and his argument for the gospel is, is tracking in such a way that he's misunderstood as saying later in this passage in verse 8 there, why not do evil that good may come? That's the questions that Paul's gospel provoked. We'll talk later about that and how our gospel that we proclaim, the gospel that Paul proclaimed, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, will often bring about questions like that. If it doesn't, it's probably not the gospel. God certainly uses the sin of mankind to accomplish his purposes. But it's important for us to know that this does not negate the justice that is due sinners, those who commit those sins and fail and do not repent of them. They will be justly judged. And Paul is bringing that point to bear. I think it's important for us to see where he's going because we'll get there, not, not next week, okay? But next time we come back to Romans, we'll get there. Next week is Palm Sunday. And the following week is Easter. But when we come back, we'll be looking at, beginning in verse 9, we Jews any better off? No. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. That's, that's where he's going. He's, he's beginning the conclusion of his argument of how wicked and sinful we are in our nature. That's where he's going. It's important to look at that and know that the verses that we're looking at today and all of 1, 18 through 3, 20, are pointing to how desperately we need the gospel. So today, coming off of verses 1 through 4, where he just quoted David, who had sinned, both in adultery and murder. And David said that you may be justified. I, I, I repent, I've sinned against you and only you, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. He's saying, you're right, God, to judge me. And it prompts this question. Paul, in his dialogue with an imaginary Jew, says, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Shall we say that God is unrighteous to punish us? Since our sin, 
brings glory to him. I want you to know what's going on here. The subject of this text is a Jew has no basis for salvation except Jesus Christ. However, they reject that notion and cling to false assurances. But since Paul has so soundly defeated their arguments... Uh, what they're going to do now is they're going to change the subject. They're going to use a straw man argument. Uh, They're not going to stick with the point. They're going to take the argument in another direction that's away from the point. They're going to point away from themselves. They're not going to look at the point that you have no basis for assurance of salvation in any of the things that you're clinging to. They're going to point to God's character. There's a few people that you can probably point to their character and win the argument. But it's not God. You can't point to his character and win the argument. But that's what's going on. He's turning it. The Jews are turning it. And they're saying, but wouldn't God be unrighteous if he's getting glory from our sin? Have you ever thought that? It happens, though. Happens all the time. God does get glory. He takes sinfulness and uses it. In Romans chapter 8, he's going to say something. He's going to use this phrase. You are more than conquerors. What does that mean? Well, one, to conquer, you just have to win. But to be more than a conqueror, what do you have to do? You you take it and turn it upside down on its head. You take the evil that was done... And it becomes something good. We don't often think that God takes sin and uses it for his glory. But what they're saying is they're saying that since that's what's happening, shouldn't God not punish us for it since he's being glorified? I left something. i got to go down here. I do that sometimes. Occasionally I have to walk down here with y'all. It's cooler down here. It's warmer up here. But I I wanted to to read out of this, this book on this thought that God uses sin and glorifies himself. So they're, they're reading that part right. By the way, this book is called Spectacular Sins by John Piper. Let me just read some of the introduction. He says this at first. He's 
pointing out how catastrophes and things are troublesome to us and we're sinned against. Listen to this about speaking about Christians. And as we live our lives, we endure things. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The Gospel of John, he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, you yourselves know that we are destined for these afflictions. And to his disciple Timothy, he writes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Men are doing that against Christians. They're sinning against Christians and persecuting them. And what does God do? He uses that to build up believers. He uses that to grow us. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Those trials often comes at the, come at the sinfulness of others. He writes concerning his book, My aim is to show that sin and evil, no matter how spectacular, never nullify the decisive, Christ-exalting purposes of God. So what we see is we see the Jews have something right. God can take sinfulness and use it for his glory. Can I give you the ultimate? The murder of Jesus he used to bring redemption to you and me. Isn't that great? They've got that right. God does receive glory. Even when men sin. But that's because he takes it and flips it. And that's what he calls us to in order to be more than conquerors. The problem is, is that they don't stop there. They bring an accusation in their question. Is this. That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. Shall we say that? No. He actually says, by no means. Or God forbid. Or may it never be. Of course not. Before he says that, he says this, I speak in a human way. <laughs> He's offering an apology there, by the way. An apologetic, if you will. Saying, look, guys, I don't think this. I want you to know instead 
I'm speaking as unbelievers would think or as you Jews think. Uh, he's making an apology for his question. Here's the point. The character of God is not in question in what Paul is proclaiming and teaching. But in our humanity, it becomes a question. This is the redirect of the Jews. This is the Jews saying, oh, let's talk about this. None of what Paul has been saying points to an unrighteous God, but to an unrighteous people. And that's what he's done. He's turned it. Or they've turned it. You know, you've been talking about us as being unrighteous, but let's talk for a minute. Wouldn't God be unrighteous in judging us for bringing glory to him by our sin? Did y'all hear that, by the way? I don't know if I can repeat it again. It's pretty illogical. I mean, the question about God being unrighteous in his judgment is nonsensical to Paul. It's far-fetched in his mind. And so he says, by no means, absolutely not. Of course God is not unrighteous. Why? Because it's well established that God is a just judge. He's fair and he's right. And he's true to his own word. He's true to the words that he handed down to you Jews, the oracles of God. He's true to the oracles of God that we have today. Paul's saying it's well established that God is a just judge. In Genesis chapter 18, we find a scene of a patriarch by the name of Abraham. And Abraham, this is before the law, this is before so much. Abraham is crying out to God. He is pleading with God for Sodom, particularly for Lot. And in verse 25 of Genesis 18, he says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The question begs the answer, yes. He always does what is just. Paul goes on and says, how could God judge the world if he was unjust? How could this even begin to happen? If God were unjust in his judgment of mankind, 
There would be a daily effect of that in our lives. Do you all realize that? I mean, if we start at the end and say that the judgment will not be just, every day of our lives are going to be spent in total uncertainty. If I'd have thought more about this, I'd have come up with more than three things. But how would it affect us? First of all, there would be no assurance of any kind regarding anything. If God was unjust. I mean, no assurance of anything. We wouldn't know if the sun's going to come up tomorrow which we don't know that anyway, but we know that God has laid out this is how things will operate according to his word. But if he's unjust, nothing is certain. We would constantly walk in fear. We would have constant feelings of impending doom. They would be the norm. We wouldn't be on a firm foundation, but we would constantly be walking around in sinking sand if God is unjust. There would be uncertainty as to how one might be saved. You say, but Rick, if he was unjust and we still had his word, his word would be worthless if he's unjust in judgment. You couldn't believe any of it. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, Jew, your argument is ridiculous. Because he's not unjust. He's good and he's true. His word, these oracles that are to your advantage that he gave you. Constantly speak of his righteousness. May I please tell you once again, we can never go away from the word of God. You turn from this right here and you will create days of uncertainty. Always. These questions Paul is answering, going back to the oracles of God. He's kind of like, you've got the oracles of God. Of course God is faithful. The oracles say he is. You have the oracles of God. Of course God is righteous in his judgment. You have the words that say he is. God is good and righteous. God is righteous in his judgment, and everyone will face the judgment of God. All of us in here, in some shape, form, or fashion, we are going to face the judgment of God. Fortunately, we're going to have an advocate standing by our side 
His name's Jesus, by the way. Isn't that great? You know him? He's there. Lord, let me deliver to you. Let me bring to you my bride. Here she is. In other words, our sin will never be used against us. You'll be pointing at Jesus. There's your righteousness. Right there. You have him by faith. Come on in. That's going to be a glorious day. I love that day. It's going to be wonderful. I hope we get to walk in together. You know, here's Westwood Baptist Church. Let them come on in. I want to walk in with y'all. I mean, I'm here with you. I'm singing with you. I'm praying with you. I'm preaching with you. Walk in together. That would be wonderful. Those of us who are redeemed, that's going to be a lovely day. But those who are not, dreadful. I hope I don't have to watch it. I hope I don't have to see people I've known and loved face the judgment of God. My hope is that I don't. Because it says there'll be no more tears. At the same time, if I do, I will know this because of the word of God, because Christ, my advocate, that what he's doing on that day is righteous and just and true. Paul's saying there's no escape, Jew. You can point and blame God all you want to. But it will not redeem you. You calling God unjust doesn't give you any points. We should all know that God is just to destroy sinners. We can know that he is good and righteous because of his word. Can you imagine sitting in a courtroom? Surely some of y'all have been there. Some of you have served in juries and been to jury duty and things like that. Some of you have been defendants and some plaintiffs. And you're sitting there in the courtroom, you know, and it's kind of it's cool, you know, if you've read any John Grisham, you know. Or, you know, 
if your wife keeps you in the loop of true crime. They'll see me throw under, throw under the bus there again. I'm paying for that. Wasn't too long ago, maybe six months ago, maybe a year, I was jury duty, and I'm in this big courtroom. Our courthouse is wonderful. This big old beautiful courtroom, and you're sitting in there, and you go in there, and you sit down, and you do whatever they tell you, you know, because they have authority and stuff. And Finally, the judge walks in. Just as the judge is walking in, I mean, I guess the bailiff is just licking, listening for the door. I don't know how they do it. But click, and they pull that door open. All rise, you know, and man, everybody stands up. Silence. And the man or the woman, judge, walks out. They have their black robe on. You see, they, they've already got that thing zipped up and everything, okay? They're not trying to scramble into their, they're, they're ready. And they walk up the steps and they take a seat in the chair where the judge sits and everybody's silent. It's just about like reverence. Authority has come into the room. And he sits down and we don't even have to be told to sit down. It's okay to sit down now. And everybody takes a seat. Judge has arrived. Imagine for a moment being in that same courtroom, same time, same place, everything. You have gone through all the processes and everything, and they, you hear the click of the doorknob, and the bailiff or whoever says it says, All rise. And the door opens, and the judge walks out dressed like a clown. I mean, he's got a red nose, his face is all white. He's got multicolor hair, wig on, and stuff like that. He walks in, and he kind of comes in, and maybe he's got some balls, and he's juggling or something. And then he sits down at the seat, and, he sit, and everybody is doing what? They're laughing. They're laughing. They're not reverent. They're going, look at this. A cool judge. He's trying to make court fun. That's not how God does that. He's in authority. He's not to be made a mockery of. The Jews say, is he unjust in his judgment? No. He's the creator of everything. It's all his. He makes the rules. God is just in his judgment. How could God judge the world if he wasn't true to the oracles that he's handed down. If he wasn't true to 
If you will obey me, I will bless you. If you will trust my son, I will give you eternal life. If he weren't true to that, all of this would be a mockery. Paul said, how could he judge the world if he shifted all the time? Of course, he's not unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. To inflict wrath on us, it says. To bring down condemnation. He's not unjust to do that. Paul is arguing. Second thing that he argues is this. Verse 7 is kind of a repeat of the question out of verse 5 and 6. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Verse 8, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Did y'all hear that? Some people actually bring this argument against us that our gospel is saying, why not do evil that good may come? Because God is just does not mean we can continue to sin and God must forgive us. It's not what it means. You know, there's some people that would rather rationalize than repent. And that's what's been going on. Here we see, once again, the tendency of depraved heart to do anything rather than repent. If God through my lie, if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? I mean, we'll do anything to keep from repenting. Y'all ever have a conversation with somebody, or somebody's a new believer or something like that, and they, they're, they're, they're sinful or some way, they maybe have, have continued in some sin, and you're trying to talk with them about it? And they say, where did Cain get his wife? That don't have anything to do with it. Or, or do you really think a big fish swallowed Jonah? You ever get those? You're talking to somebody about the gospel, or you're talking to some uh, believer about sinfulness, and... They give you the redirect, and that's what goes. That's what's happening. I mean, Paul's bringing it to bear again. They do anything and say anything to keep from repenting. That's what the Jews are doing. That's what Paul is warring against. People that refuse to repent. People that refuse to do the will of God. 
And instead, point blame at God for being unjust and condemning. He points out himself, their condemnation is just because that's not what we're saying. Paul is arguing both against Gentile and Jew. He says, no, the Jews aren't better off. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. And you don't have an argument that can stand up against the righteousness of God and the goodness of God because the righteousness of God has been poured out in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the wrath of God is hanging over all the earth and all the people. And the only hope is the gospel, and that's where he's going. And I want you to know, folks, that's what we have to live with, knowing. There is no other hope except for Jesus Christ. I point you to the cross of Christ where he died and his blood was poured out. May I encourage you to confess and admit your own sinfulness and then your need for the gospel and call out to him because he hears you. May I Encourage you, believer, as you walk through sorrows and pain, suffering, struggle, uncertainty, that this unchanging, righteous, loving God, who will one day welcome you into his kingdom, hears you and knows you. That's where Paul's heading. I was going through this because he mentions there in verse 2 the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God and we have the oracles of God and we need to always run back to the word in whatever circumstance we find ourselves the Jews weren't running back to the word you have the oracles and you don't listen you have the oracles and you've determined that God's not faithful and God's not righteous to judge those who bring glory to him through unorthodox means. And so we run back to his word. And we find in his word that he is faithful to his people. Haven't you found that in your life? That he's always faithful to you? He's not unrighteous because sorrow comes into your life. I hear it all the time. A loving, righteous God wouldn't let this happen in my life. You've got to be kidding me. Of course he would. 
but he wouldn't waste it. He'd use it to his glory. For whatever reason, this song just kept going in my mind, and actually just the verse of the song. I think I, I, I'm kind of stuck on this song because I think I quoted this verse, a, a different verse, out of this song recently also. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He's our only hope. There's no other place to go. Nowhere. And if you're trusting in anything, if you're trusting in the ease of your life, as God's been so good to me, God's going to let me into his kingdom. Look how good he's been to me. I want you to know you can't lean on anything. Anything. except for Jesus. He is our only hope. Paul's been kicking all the props out. He has been dismantling every argument the Jew can give. He has been unpacking all the sinfulness of the Gentiles. And he's saying, I don't care if you're a Jew. I don't care if you're a Gentile. You're all doomed apart from Jesus. That's where he's going. Trust in Jesus. How do I know I trust him? <laughs> you obey him. You follow him. You love him. Say, lay aside everything else and just trust him and just follow him. And that's what Paul's going to be arguing all the way through Romans. This gospel leads to this life. And that's it. I know you're thinking because I just summarized all of Romans that we're done now, and we're not. I want you to know all your hope, everything, is in Christ alone. And that's where Paul has taken us. He's going to say there's no other way. And you know that. And if you don't know that, I hope you'll trust Jesus. I hope you'll let me know, Rick. I don't know. When you come sit down, let's talk. Because I want you to know. Let's pray.